This is the Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. There's torn up pages in this book, words that tell me I'm no good, chapters that define me for so long. But the hands of grace and endless love dusted off and picked me up. Told my heart that hope is never gone. God is in this story. Executive Director of the Lehigh Conference of Churches, a nonprofit agency. This organization helps the most vulnerable people in the Lehigh Valley. Abby was born in the Lehigh Valley to homelessness as an infant. Her first home consisted of a shared living space with other homeless people. Abby grew up thinking of helping others without a voice. She received a bachelor's degree in psychology from Kutztown University and then furthered her education, getting her master's degree in forensic psychology. Her love for God and passion to help people got her a job in the New York City Department of Education in charge of funding for post-9-11 counseling in schools. Abby returned to the Lehigh Valley, ending up doing the job of executive director of the Lehigh Conference of Churches welcoming this job with open arms because she knows that whatever God throws her way, that it is all a part of God's plan. Today, we are here with Abigail Goldfarb. She is, wow, um, you have been through so much in your life and you've done so many incredible things in your life. I am so impressed with you. Go girl power. That's all I got to say. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, So right now I'm with the Lehigh Conference of Churches. I'm the executive director there. I'm also a Christian, a believer in in God, and a mother, and a wife, and a dog mom. Oh, yeah. How many dogs do you have? Just one. That's enough. Yeah. Tell me about it. They're they're like children, aren't they? They are. Yeah. It's incredible. I only have one, and I didn't think I would have any more, but then my daughter wanted one, so now I inherited another one. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're definitely like children. What was that all about? When you and your family were homeless? Right. So I, I'm from the area originally. Okay. I'm about north of here a little bit, but generally from the area. And my parents were young. 
and they met and wanted to get make a difference in the world i don't know different times and so they made this decision to sort of live off the grid and they at that time there was government was taking a lot of farmland to develop it into resorts or just sort of commercial properties and my dad in particular had a long history of sort of being a uh, I don't know, into civil rights and in, into social justice. So anyway, they sort of set up this little commune and with their friends felt the same way and they, they intended to live off the land. And uh, I came along and it turned out pretty quickly that living off the grid with a newborn infant, now I was born at home, there was no medical care, they weren't even living in a house with any electricity. Wow. Um, and, you know, to ask my mother, and she kind of says, well, you know, the neighbor had just had a baby. I figured that would be good enough. And no midwife. I mean, I, you know, it's hard now as an adult to think that these were good decisions people make. But I turned out, you know, healthy. And yeah. The, yeah other okay. people, the, other, the other people there, though, who were young and living a carefree life, weren't really thrilled with a, with a screaming newborn in the house. So my parents left. And they actually lived in a tent alongside of the Delaware River until it got cold and then they lived in a camper for a while and I think at some point they made the decision that this was just not going to work with a six-month-old baby so my dad knew somebody who knew somebody and before you know it he was referred to a church and the church sort of took us all in they they passed their judgment and were happy to include us and helped us find a place to live and helped my mom find a job and I don't remember a lot of what was probably taught back then in the church. I can remember those feelings of fellowship. I can remember those feelings of acceptance and love. And I can really just remember God's wife, which is a tiny little problem. Wow. That is crazy. So how, how long did you say they did that for? It's been about nine months we slept outside. Wow. Wow. So eventually they got a house and jobs and, and they changed or? Well, so, you know, I don't think conventional life was really anything my parents were ever really interested in, you know? So, you know, we rented a house and then we rented a different house and then our house went down and we ended up in a different rental. By the time I was about six and my sister came along, you know, I, my parents had kind of just accepted that settling down was, was going to have to be the answer, but my parents split a couple of years later. And so, you know, they had their own demons to contend with. My mom was a single mom. My dad struggled with addiction. And when he was good, he was real good. And when he wasn't, he just really wasn't. And my mom struggled to, you know, with, with whatever, loneliness and, and all that hard work that a single motherhood would take. You know, that was like back in the 70s and 80s. So life was yeah. like really different then, you know. Oh, life was very simple. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, just one of those kids around in the neighborhood, went to school, and there's just a lot of kind of turmoil at home, which is probably what led me to want to pursue psychology as a career. I can remember being in middle school, career day, and saying, yeah, I think I want to grow up and help people. I think yeah. I want to grow up and be the person that I didn't have that I know I need in my life. And, right, right. You know, well, I, I, I took good care. I took a lot of best as I could as a kid, took care of my sister, and I think right. that was in my early, you know, caregiving days that really led me into a lifelong career path. Yeah. Well, I know that I wouldn't say I had a difficult childhood. I had, I made bad choices, but looking back, 
my mom wasn't the greatest mom either, but you kind of wonder, and I'm sure as a psychologist now, you wonder what was going on in their minds, right? You know, I think, <laughs> and I don't, maybe it's age, maybe it's time, maybe, maybe it's being a parent myself now. I think people do the best they can. I agree. Better With what, what they have. Better, then you try to do better. And, you know, I, there is nothing to be gained at this point. We're trying to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I know. I know. Go forward different. Yeah. No, I hear you. And me, myself, I don't blame my mom because, like you said, I think she was dealt some cards and she played them the best she could. Yeah. You know? Now, you went to school and got your bachelor's degree, right? Uh, sure. I mean, I, I wanted to be a social worker. I, I wanted to help people. I wanted to join resources to people who didn't have the right supports in their life. I wanted to help people learn how to make good decisions and be successful. And I think going into that, I knew, you know, probably even that stands true today. You know, a bachelor's degree in psychology isn't really the most, doesn't give you the most uh, high paying job options. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to stay working in my field. So I had right. decided maybe midway through my time at Cookstown that I would go to graduate school, something I wanted to pursue. Right. Now, when you went for psychology, you went because you wanted to know how people thought or w- what made you do it? I know you said you want to help people. Right, right, right. But, but I wanted to understand human behavior. I was fascinated okay. with the way that the brain works. I was fascinated with the way that societies operate. You know, I'm one of those Gen, Generation X, where we dealt with a lot of apathy and, and a lot of sort of feeling lost in the world. And maybe I wanted to understand that as a collective consciousness type of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I was never really a light hockey kid. It was always like these serious world issues I wanted to dive into. But yeah, I was yeah. fascinated by it. Yeah, well, I could understand that because the human mind, oh man, I mean, there's so much to understand, isn't it? Yeah, the human yeah. condition is really tough really tough because everybody has different personalities and i think you've learned i'm not a psychologist but you've probably learned why people have those different personalities am i right to a degree i think the most important thing that i've learned over time is people see things through their lens almost as if you would put on a pair of glasses and your prescription is a and my prescription is b and we could look at the same exact thing and just see it differently uh, based on our past experience, our predispositions, our upbringing, our experience, our traumas, our happy times. And that still will always remain a fascinating piece. And so, again, to kind of look at somebody and say what they're feeling and what they're saying is true to them. Right, right, um, right. That's true. And I wanted to say, and that's okay, right? That we all have <laughs> different personalities and, and different opinions. But the world we live in today, it's kind of like if you don't have that opinion, you're no good or, you know, you're bad or whatever. I, I kind of see that, not to get into politics, but it seems yeah. like it's that way, you know. And and I don't understand because did did that just happen? Because I remember a day where lots of people had different opinions and it wasn't such a big deal, you know, but now it seems like it's a really big deal. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I try to remember people's behavior really don't have a lot to do with me and they have mm-hmm. a lot to do with them. 
and, right. and where they are and who they are. So, you know, when you stop taking things personally, that's a good start. But other people's opinions and perspectives do not have the right to harm me. Right. Uh, I agree. Yeah. At all. And I think just as communication has become more widespread, social media, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing is that there's, there's an opportunity for your voice and your opinion and your judgment to be louder. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that's right. I just think we found a new megaphone for it. Yeah. Yeah, really. Great answers. I really like them. I think people are going to learn from just those little bit of answers that you gave. I appreciate that. What was it like working in education in New York? What was that all about? And why did you do that? So that was just a wild story. Uh, you want to talk about God working in your life. I So I wanted to leave Pennsylvania. I, I needed to detach from my, sort of my, my core family life there for a minute. And I had some things I wanted to pursue. And New York wasn't a strange place. My, you know, my dad would take us there to visit X, Y, and Z, and uh, we meet people there and stuff like that. So anyway, at the time, John Jay College was the only, I think, one of two programs that that offered forensic psychology. And again, being just so fascinated with the way the mind works and the motivation for people's behavior, I decided that I I would gravitate not towards just sort of general counseling, but maybe towards abnormal psychology, you know, the way the criminal justice system can treat people with mental health issues and all those sorts of things. Yeah, Um, good for you. So happily pursuing my degree, working a side job to get by, minding my own business, and September 11th came about. Mm -hmm. I was there for September 11th, and I that it was really an incredible experience and I use the term awesome, not in to say it was good, because it truly was not. But it was just so big and just so overwhelming and just so incredible to watch the world unfold that way as a young person. Right. And right. that was that was what happened. And so, you know, uh, being me, did not run home to Pennsylvania. I ran towards it, maybe as quickly as I could, for better or for worse. I can still do that now. I was finishing up my degree at the same time, and it was like, we this is a trauma event. And, you know, when I was in graduate school, I really gra- uh, gravitated towards these classes about psychology as the victim. And so that was a real sort of a trauma-informed, and how does the criminal justice system treat victims of crime? And, we're, you know, we're really just hot for the criminal and, the, you know, the, the psychopath, you know, TV, books, all the hit movies and stuff, it really glamorizes it. But, like, what about all the people left in their wake? Yeah. And I think that maybe started me on a path. So by happenstance or circumstance, I, I finished my degree in early 2002, and the Department of Education had finally cut through a bunch of red tape, and the government gave them $150 million to design and roll out counseling services for the kids in the school. Wow. And so I took a job. lot of money. Yeah, it was. Even even back then, it was an incredible I think to date, maybe still their largest award. And the goal was to provide technical assistance to the schools about understanding trauma-informed care and letting them design what they needed, but sort of providing that technical assistance for that large grant so that the government could be satisfied and the schools still got what they needed. So it was a lot of go-between. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of politics. And it just made an incredible difference. And I'm just so glad to have been a part of it. I, I pray to God we never have to do anything like that again. Yeah, um, really. But it was awesome. And yeah. I, again, not in a positive way. It was incredible. And 
it's also, I think, a fun time for me, just as a, a time of personal growth, right? I mean, it's like on my own and in my late mid to late twenties and living my life in New York and, and being a part of this huge one of, the, one of the biggest cities in the world was going through this thing and I was there to bear witness to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. really grateful for the experience, good, bad, or otherwise. It, it was something I that definitely played a part in who I am today. I could imagine. And you got to do so much good. I mean, that's yeah. pra- praise be to God, but wow. I mean, that, like you said, you could probably write a book, right? Yeah, it was. So, I, and I don't want to drag us back 21 years, but I, for a quick second, story that will forever remain with me. There was a woman who lost her husband, her son, and her son-in-law. They were all firefighters. And, you know, where do you start with that? And, wow. you know, she managed to, I don't know, she left New York. And I, what else could you do, right? I mean, I think she moved to like Arizona or something and just tried to start her life over. But it was a little boy in second grade whose dad had been a firefighter and had been lost. Yeah. And he was acting out at school. And counselors are familiar with acting out at school, but he kept pulling the fire alarm. And, you know, he, he wouldn't communicate and he was disruptive. And when they got down to the bottom of it, it turned out that because his dad was a firefighter, he figured if he kept pulling the fire alarm, eventually he would show up. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It makes me wow. Cry now. I mean, 20 years yeah. later, it still makes me cry. I mean, I, I, I pray that little boy grew up a healthy adult but you know trauma at that level is and the collective trauma of it is just unbearable wow oh my goodness Whew. yeah like i yeah. said you could probably write a book tell me about your job in lehigh valley because you then you left new york right and I then did. you moved back to lehigh valley you took an outpatient services in mental health so you went back to the mental health thing i did i mean you know there was crisis counseling is mental health to a degree we were still trying to create programs that responded to people's mental health you know i had met my husband and got married and we decided that we didn't want to raise a family in new york so he was from new york fine from here came back i came back and it seemed like a really interesting job where they were trying to transition people out of the allentown state hospital to see if they couldn't live with supports in the community. So it was a couple hundred folks who were really chronically and persistently seriously mentally ill. Schizophrenia, schizoaffective, major depression, bipolar, personality disorders for days. And they had a really hard time maintaining things. They could take their meds, they could live on their own. And so there's this really rigorous support system around them. Not surprisingly, that job has like a 100% turnover rate on basically right yeah well i felt like i didn't have the bandwidth to do it so i took a step back but the, the work that case managers do and those programs are just absolutely incredible they're underpaid and they're underappreciated but i have to tell you they work so hard and, and i could imagine humanity that 
that terrifies the general public, really. And they say, you know, I, I'm back to doing that now. I guess sort of it all comes around in the end. Yeah, so maybe you were meant to do it because you're good at it, you know? <laughs> could be. Yeah, well, God gives us, you know, different gifts. So <laughs> even okay. though we don't want to pursue those gifts or be, you know, he goes, yeah. yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does that one for me. Uh, he just yeah. says, all right, you need to step out. We'll let that simmer. Go ahead. And, uh, we'll give you a little break. <laughs> Yeah. Well, listen, are you seeing a lot of mental illness today? Is there more so? I know that's what a lot of psychiatrists are saying and and psychologists. There's a lot more today. Can you tell me why? Do you do you have any idea or? So, you know, let's take a second or two and just really define what we mean when we say mental health, mental illness and chronic and persistent. And I mean, so there's a lot of terms in there and, you know, there's probably other times when the words we've used have really impacted how well we treat a problem, you know, I mean, addiction, right? Think about that. Like, Mm -hmm. there was a time when people thought addiction was just sort of people addicted to crack who would just do anything for their next hit, people who slept in the gutter. And these days we have an opioid epidemic where people are addicted to prescription pills and they're primarily white and affluent and now all of a sudden addict isn't a dirty word anymore. So I think that we need to extend that grace to the mental health mm-hmm. field. You know, because I'm having a bad day or because I feel stretched too thin or I'm depressed situationally because something is going on in my life that is hard to deal with, I'm depressed. But I should be treated by like as a leper for that. You know, right. I think health in general, mental health is taken on just like this huge, all-encompassing definition of I'm having a crap day. And I think that's really unreasonable. So I think that life is hard. I think the human experience is difficult. And I think mm-hmm. that there's, um, Amen. there's plenty of opportunities to feel down and overwhelmed. And right. there's no feeling. Um, would I say you have mental health problems? If you said that, probably not. I would say, yeah, that feels like being a human in 2023. That that feels about accurate. Um, Mental illness, on the other hand, is sort of a chemical imbalance that goes on in your brain that confuses your emotions and sometimes reduces your impulses and makes you see things that aren't there, makes you feel things that are not based on reality that are treatable Mm -hmm. and are, you know, there are, there are plenty of people with a mental illness diagnosed, di- you know, this one diagnosis type of stuff who function in their life very well with medication and therapy. There are people who don't take care of themselves or who coupled with other barriers in their life like poverty or trauma or addiction or neglect that make those mental health issues or that mental illness into a huge barrier in their life. So I want to say, yes, there's an increase, but I want to say that a part of that increase is based upon the fact that we have changed the way we're defining mental illness in general. And I think we're trying to make that more of a mainstream thing. So mental health should be a conversation, but it it, it varies in disruption to humans. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to throw this out there and put you on the spot or anything, but here's a question. What do you say to someone who is experiencing, you know, seeing things or or imagining emotions that aren't true? What what would you say to them that they can do? 
What would you tell them? So this is going to sound provocative, I'm sure. But if people are seeing things and it's not disruptive to their life in any way and they don't want to take medication for that because it makes them feel sluggish or weird or, you know. In other words, if it's not a barrier to them, I would say, well, you know, if it does, if it becomes a barrier to you, there's help for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, you could see a doctor or we could get to the hospital or we could talk to people about coping skills or, or how to manage or maybe do some education about what this really is. It's not your fault. You know, there's a chemical thing going on in your brain. It's not because of God doesn't love you. It's not because your parents were mean to you. It's just a thing that happens. But if you are suffering from auditory hallucinations, visual hallucinations, if you're feeling paranoid, prosecuted, and like you're being followed, or the government's watching you, or you find yourself just unreasonably unable to control your behavior, and that's starting to scare you, you should seek help right away. Each county has a hotline you can call when you're feeling that way. Um, I don't know enough, offhand, but I'm sure if you... Um, to whatever county you're in to their website right there on the front page you know if you're feeling like you want to hurt yourself or if you want to hurt someone else and i don't mean like the guy in front of you who cut you off want to hurt someone else i mean like you have a real plan to hurt someone you should really seek help immediately probably in the emergency room hello everyone before we get back to the inspirational wow show i want to take a moment and talk about china myers's best-selling gripping heartfelt book titled a letter to god you can find this true life story on Amazon. Now, back to the WOW show. Great, great advice because I've known people who were mentally ill and I think I could be wrong about this because I'm not a psychologist, but I think sometimes it's kind of like a drug habit. They don't want to admit that there's something wrong. You know, I've noticed that. Not everyone, but some people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like you said, things just escalate. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's good advice. If you're noticing something, go get help. See what the problem is. Because it's not because, you know, no reason. There's a reason, right? Right. And, and you know, I think we need to just change our, we need to change the stigma on that. I mean, if you had diabetes and your sugar was always high, you're not embarrassed to go to the doctor. Right. You know, if you uh, if your arm was broken and you couldn't use it right, or or you had chronic stomach pain or headaches every day, you would want relief from those problems. And exactly. You would be open about that, and you would be willing to seek treatment and get medical attention. I don't really believe this should be much different. And that doesn't mean if you, you know, that's anything. That's anything from, you know, I'm feeling really out of control to, you know, I'm having more bad days than good days. And I'd really like to turn that around. Um, anywhere on that spectrum, it should be really acceptable to just say, hey, this is self-care, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get, get that taken care of. Yeah, definitely. I agree. If someone is you know, having these problems, and you're saying that it could be a chemical imbalance, do you know enough to know, I'm talking about psychologists, do they know enough to know why there's this chemical imbalance? Is it the food that they're eating? Is it something they were born with? Does anyone know that answer? I mean, I I don't feel well-versed enough to answer that, but my experience is is very rarely one one cause. Okay. It's very rarely one little thing. 
Sometimes it's just a chemical thing. Sometimes it's years and years of stress and trauma. Sometimes it's hereditary. Sometimes it's, you know, in a temporary response, you know, a normal, like, you know, right. When I was in New York, it was like everybody was feeling some kind of way. And we would say that's a very normal reaction to a very abnormal event in your life. Um, yeah. And you know, everybody's body responds different, right? You may be able to, you and I could go to the gym and we could train for two years and you may end up running that marathon and I never make it past the 5K because my body's just not built for it. Mental health is just the same way. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. In 2020, you accepted the job as executive director, right? What does that job entail? And congratulations. Um, I mean, it's not that long ago. No, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. So I've actually been at the Conference of Churches since 2009. And I took a variety of different positions here and worked my way up the ladder as things became available. I've had really wonderful mentors in my life who prepared me for this moment. And so when the last executive director retired, he had lifted me up as his replacement and I was blessed enough to uh, be given this job. So I was really, really thankful. I worked very hard for a long time for it. And continue to work very hard. So at the Conference of Churches, our goal is to um, is to put our Christian faith into action and serving and advocating for our neighbors in need. So essentially what we're trying to do is walk with people who are living in extreme poverty and remove the barriers that that poverty has put in their way. Gotcha. And so as the executive director, I see my job as the person who sets the tone. What services are we offering? How is our customer service? What funding? What partners? What is the essence of that mission statement and how are we going to live it out? What does Allentown need from us? What does the community need from us? Do we have the capacity to respond to it? And what strategy would that need? You know, we still got to pay the bill. I hold myself on the hook for that. Um, but how many people do we want to serve? And, and, you know, again, supporting the staff who's front line. I mean, you're talking about a group of individuals who strap on their boots and backpacks and march into homeless encampments, much like the one I started my life in. Wow. And they're going out there to hand out supplies and trying to build trust with people who are who are off the grid because they can't because mainstream society has failed them. And maybe right. they're not ready to try that again. And so we walk with them until they're ready. So I take very, 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 probably the biggest role of my job is to take care of the staff that's doing the work. Wow. Empower them and train them and support them in a way that they can lose all of their energy serving people who are in a really tough spot in their life. And there's some, there's some kismet for me in that, right? It's like, here's this baby who got drugged into the church with my parents who said, we don't have a place to live and we're not sure what we're doing here. And I sit now in a big church where every single day parents come in with their kids and say, we need a different choice in our life and we need your help to do that. Um, and if wow. I want God working in my life, <laughs> no. there is no greater witness I could bear besides that. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> wow. Well, I just want to say before I continue, God bless you. God bless those workers. Oh, my goodness. I mean, because I could imagine what they're going into in those camps because some of those people, you know, have mental illness. They could, you know, be carrying knives or whatever. Yeah. So that's pretty dangerous. But God bless you and God bless them. Man, that that's 
I, I really commend you for that. I really do. I thank you so much for that. I, I mean, the Conference of Churches, the Lehigh Conference of Churches, is so, so many things. We have a day shelter, a soup kitchen, we hand out rental assistance, toiletries, bus tickets. You know, we could spend the whole next hour talking about all the services that we offer. But if anyone wow. who's listening, a brief, you know, wants to learn more about the Conference of Churches, you know, either give us a ring or, or check us out online and, and see all the good stuff we have going on. Yeah. So at the end of the show, basically, I definitely want you to let us know how people who might be in need can contact your, your organization and the name of it and all that. We'll we'll do all that at the end. I got a question, which it's probably a stupid question. No, stupid question. No, <laughs> do you believe in God? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Do I ever. Yeah. I yeah. Ever. And when was the first time? that you realized you believed in God? Well, now this is going to sound like a stupid answer. <laughs> no okay. stupid answers. All right. All right. I got it. <laughs> I can't, I can't really remember a time when I didn't believe in God. Wow. Okay. So it was a long time. I can remember being two and three and running up and down the aisles of that church that took us in and helped us, helped us write ourselves. And I can remember there was a time we didn't have a pastor. My dad would deliver the sermon and I would sit on his feet in the pulpit. I can remember being young and listening to the sermon on Sundays and feeling that I know you felt it. Where you feel that light and that heat on the back of your head and you feel like every molecule in your body has tingling come alive. And you Amen. feel that Holy Spirit come over you. I can remember feeling that as a child and just knowing Somehow, you know, there's been times in my life where I'll just, and you know, <laughs> in times when other people, like teenage years in, in the 20s, where people are like, hold on, what did you just say? So I'm going to give that over to God, and we're going to see how that works out. I'm going to put that out in the universe. I'm going to believe in it, and I'm going to walk away. People will be like, say what now? <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah. It's not even a belief, right? It's just like my core value to the way of life almost. And, and, um, yeah. Was there a God moment? Meaning what? Like one day you're like, oh, wow. Okay. This is real. God is real. Okay. Like, was there like a miracle or something that made you realize and prove, you know, that what you were feeling was right? was true. More than once. And I, there are, so, okay. Here's, here's a funny story. Cause you know, some of them are like deeply personal and I don't want to get all emotional with everyone today, but there are times, and I'm sure we all can relate to this, where we feel disconnected from God, where we feel like we can't see him, can't feel him, and, you know, just sort of the drudgery of human life becomes, like, heavy. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, this was not that long ago, by the way, probably in the last five years, praying about that. Yeah. Asking God, can I see you? I know you're in my life, but, but for some reason I, I feel disconnected, and I, I need to know you're here with me. I need to find God. I can remember saying that. And it was warm <laughs> It was warm outside and I bought our house recently from, from someone else and I was doing a little landscaping in the front, right? I was pulling out some weeds and I dug out this rock. I kid you not, there was a two inch figurine of Jesus as a carpenter <gasps> stuffed in the dirt. Like wow. I was playing with it probably, right? And it got left there. I have it. I'm gonna. I have it right now. You just gave me chills. I keep him with me 
this looks like a toy. Here he is. Oh my goodness. And so I went from praying that I couldn't find Jesus to quite literally <laughs> holding the figurine of Jesus in my hand within yeah. you know the same afternoon. Yeah. That is so powerful. Even oh, so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a quick story about me, how it, it just like you said, I was wondering, you know, what's going on? Why am I going through all this stuff? I didn't blame God. I just blamed the choices I was making. You know, why am I so stupid? What is going on? I was trying to join the carnival because I had no place to go and times were crazy. So I fleed New York with this carnival, but I didn't have a job. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just go out there and live off the grid and, and, you know, ask for a job. And I was sure I would get one. But three weeks passed and I didn't get a job yet. And I'm eating out of garbage cans after the show would close. And each day I would go up to people at different stands and say, hey, do you need help? And, you know, everybody would say no, because they didn't, not that they didn't know me, because people work out there all the time that they don't know. But I guess... I don't know what it is. Maybe I didn't look like the carny type. I don't know. But everyone said no for three weeks. And oh, one day wow. I said, you know what? I I'm done. I'm going to go back to homelessness in New York because I'm traveling and who knows where I'll end up. Mm -hmm. So as we were coming into this last spot that I was decided that I was going to leave, there was a church and it was nighttime past this church and the cross was lit up. And I thought, okay, when, when we get to the, to the lot, I'm going to walk back there and, and I'm just going to ask you what you want from me and what I should do, because I have no clue. I mean, surrender. I was always, that's it, right? Your moment of surrender. That was it. And so I walked back and it was a lot of blocks. I remember that. I'm thinking, where is this church? It's like, I didn't know it was this far. Right. So as I'm walking, I could see the lights of the cross lit up. But as I got closer, there was no light on that cross. There was no light on that cross. No. And as I got to the church, there was no light on that cross. And when I went in, I just got on my knees and I just started praying. And I asked God, what should I do? And, you know, where do I go? And... Uh, and I didn't get an answer, but I got peace. Uh -huh. I got peace. It was like everything was okay and I was going to be all right. So when I got done praying, I left and I went back on the lot and I got my bag of underwear and shirt and a pair of pants. That's all I had with me. Uh -huh. And as I was leaving, the man and woman that owned the carnival came up to me and asked if I wanted a job. <sighs> Kid you not. Amen. Kid you not. Yeah. So that was my moment. I, like you said, I always believed and I always felt his presence. And when I would go to church, I would cry and I didn't know why I cried, you know, yes. because I love, I found out I love God so much, you know? So, wow. That was, that was my moment. And yours, oh. man. No, you got to keep telling that story. Yeah, yeah. I, I thank you for sharing yours as well. So, Glee, you believe in God and you had your God moment. Tell me uh, what someone 
might do if they're lost in their life or or lost in faith? What what do you think or what would you say to someone that that's happening to them? I think that happens all too often. And I wish I knew why that was. But it does. It, it happens. And so I would say, for one, you're not alone. It's not that no one's ever felt that way. And it could be that you're very justified in your feelings going on in your life that, that have, have caused you to come at this moment. But the good news is, that's always the good news we love to share, right? Is that it's not the end. That this is a moment and that you are worthy of love and that there are people in the world who will share and care for you. Um, even if they're not with you right now, God would make sure with a little work on your part um, to ask for help and find your your, your home, if you will. Um, and home is, is not always four walls, but it's that place where you feel like you could be yourself and you're loved and accepted for, for you. And I think it really starts with you just wanting to make that change. And, you know, it could be two, two steps forward, three steps back. But if you just connect and know that you're worthy of love and there's places you can go where people love and accept you. And if you need help with those things, there are people who are willing to do so. You can always come to the conference of churches. We are a, just a wealth of information. Um, church communities are outstanding places for you to go and try to connect with people. You know, there's endless choices, and probably each would be different for everyone listening. But the important thing is to know that there's a place for you and that you are loved and worthy of that love. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. I really liked that answer uh, because <laughs> there are, I'm sure, I see it, there's a lot of lost people. And I don't know, I think it kind of happened after COVID. I don't want to blame COVID. Everybody's blaming COVID for everything. I know, but it was such a lonely time. I know, I know. And I think people are struggling and suffering. And I just want people to know that, like you said, God is there for them. I mean, that's why I do the show, because I want to keep reminding people that God can work miracles in your life. You know, you've got to repent. You've got to ask him into your life. And what are some things people can do to get closer to God? I think you need to, well, let me not be like that. I think it's important to remember that God is all places, in all things, all the time. And so if there's a bird that lingers on your windowsill too long, that's God. If there's a stranger that greets you with a smile or a hello, that's God. If silly, but even if you catch that green light to make you not late to where you're going, that's God. And, you know, God doesn't have to come down with a magic wand and, and turn you from a frog into a prince. To let you know that you have to remember to look in every corner in every day, in every single day. And small as that shiny quarter you find in, in your pocket in last year's coat, and as big as digging in your garden and finding a real figurine of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> or, or seeing a church with a cross that looks lit up, but as it turns out, it wasn't. It's, look for it everywhere, and you'll see it. You know, if you can get to that small, still voice in your gut, that's God speaking to you. Yeah. Try to steady yourself and, and listen and get quiet. And, and all of a sudden, it's like you see all these things that were there all along. But you just did. Amen. So we're getting close to the end. Tell everyone how they can get a hold of your organization 
And of course, the name of it. And is there anything else people could do if they are in need? Tell us now. Sure, I'd love to do that. So we are the Lehigh Conference of Churches. We are located in a very large church on the corner of 6th and Allen Street in downtown Allentown. Uh, we serve the entire Lehigh Valley from East to Reading, just a little outside of Lehigh Valley, I guess. We offer services for people who are living on shelters, people who are seeking treatment for addiction, people who need assistance paying their rent, people who need things that food stamps don't cover, toiletries, diapers, paper products. We offer bus tickets. We have the ability to enroll folks in public benefits with certified counselors. We have ICM, licensed social workers to do mental health counseling. Uh, we serve three meals a day. And when I say we serve three meals a day, Monday through Friday, I mean like tomorrow's breakfast is egg benedict with holiday sauce. Wow. Lunch is smoked beef brisket, which has wow. been on the smoker for two days now. Goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, not a, it's not a cup of soup and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, yeah, yeah. And on days that we have to close because of bad weather, we actually put together packages of food and hike them out into the encampment. Our guys visit over 100 sites in really High Valley, and they will deliver food to spare those folks from trying to trudge through a snowstorm to find us. We will go and make sure that they will eat while we are closed due to the weather. We have peer support workers. Um, we have a, a really dedicated staff of about 45 people. I would say about half of them are Spanish speaking. We try really hard to be culturally competent in our approach to the services we deliver. We're a, a safe place without judgment. Um, we have an individual who works with landlords, so people who don't earn three times. You know, there was a three-bedroom apartment, two-bedroom apartment yesterday for $2,000, beautiful apartment. And they said, your minimum net income a month is $6,000 to be eligible for rent the apartment. I mean, are yeah. you just losing your mind? Losing um, your minds. Yeah. That's can crazy. Can you with reality? I mean, I appreciate this is a beautiful apartment. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, but uh, crazy. netting $6,000 a month, why would I want to rent this apartment? And yeah, you, you might as well buy a house. I'm playing at that point. <laughs> or never leave it, because, like, that's that's it for you then, you know? Like, that's yeah, you really. um, yeah. Anyway, you know, we have someone who works with landlords to try to, you know. Lower the prices. Sort of motivate the landlord to rent to people who are not earning uh, you know, three times the rent and have a 800 credit score and no eviction notice from all the We have some of that. We have a uh employment navigator who will help you make a resume and send you to training programs, help you for a job, work on your resume, interview skills. Just so much, so much, so much. Uh, you can yeah. find it. You can come on down here, really, and just knock on the door. We'll, we'll walk in all the time. Seeking services or resources, uh, we would be the place to ask questions even. To see someone who's living unsheltered and you worry about their well-being, I would encourage you to contact us straight away. We'll go out there and make contact. I don't encourage you to do that, but we're trained and ready for that interaction. Um, okay. You can find us on the web at lehighchurches.org. You can find us on social media. We have a YouTube channel and all those fun things. Uh, we have special events through the year. Um, and I just encourage you to get involved. We, this is a community-wide problem, and it's going to take a community answer to solve it. Uh, yeah. We've been in business for almost 70 years. Next wow. year, we are 70th anniversary. Um, and we're just real proud of all the work that we do. Um, 
And the last thing I would say really is to remember that, that folks who are sleeping outside or battling the demon of addiction, they're human beings. Yeah. And maybe their spirit has been captured by some bad things, but there's a human being in there who deserves um, respect and dignity and things. Yeah. I'm real serious about that here. Um, even in the smallest way, like, good morning, I'm glad you came here today, type of a way. We leave our judgments at the door for all people. That's awesome. Is there a number that, okay, if someone, you know, could write it down, is there a number that people could call? There absolutely is. You could call 610-433-6421. Well, Abby, it was a pleasure, man. You are Thank you awesome. Thank you for, for allowing me to spend some time with you today and just hearing me out. And uh, I'm just so glad, really honored to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that you came. And I thought, you know what? God wants me to have her on. I didn't know why. You know, I didn't even know what your organization was about. It's like, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to have her on. So God basically prompted me to address you. And so I showed up in your space that day and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great day. You as well. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was a great show. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Well, this is The Wow Show, and I'm your host, China Myers. Thank you for being here. And I want to say thank you. I was lost and you found me. I was dead inside and you breathed into me. And you brought these bones alive. Say thank you, thank you for saving me, thank you for loving me unconditionally. God, you stood with open arms.